You're listening to a 3CR podcast of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join your hosts Anne and Kevin the second Friday of every month on The Sewer Show between 5.30 and 6.30pm here on 3CR Community Radio. This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions for the unemployed and underemployed. Everyone in our community has value. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Anne, how are you doing? Hey, Kevin, how are you? Oh, you know, not too bad. A little bit weary, actually, but, you know, you asked. It's been a long day, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Oh, and hello to Larry and Larissa as well. Our listeners, always important. I wonder how they're all feeling um, after the election. Some will be celebrating and some might not be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What have we got on the show for this week, Anne? What, what, um, what takes your fancy? I was thinking about how with the new federal government, what's important to keep an eye on with them yeah. <laughs> is what they're spending money on. Yeah. And I heard Richard Dennis, who is a chief economist at the Australia Institute, talking about this very topic when he was talking about the federal budget back in the beginning of April 2022. And he was featured in a webinar that was hosted by Nina, the New Economy Network Australia. Yeah. And what I really liked about uh, what he was saying, especially if you're new to what federal budgets are or you don't really quite know how they work, He did a great introduction into what federal budgets are, and I recommend listening to the whole webinar. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes, and if you can get online and go to YouTube, you can listen to that. Richard's introduction to federal budgets gives the average Joe or the average Larry and Larissa like you and me a really easy, accessible way into understanding them. And so what I thought we would do is listen to just one clip from the Q&A part of that webinar. And we'll hear Dr. Michelle Maloney, who is the co-founder of NINA, posing a question to economist Richard Dennis. Um, A number of folks have asked about MMT, uh, modern monetary theory. Do you think Australia should adopt um, MMT economic theory? Uh, look, uh, I, I did a whole webinar on MMT with a woman called Stephanie Kelton. So if you want kind of my thoughts on that, feel free. Uh, I don't think Australia can adopt a theory, right? Uh, I, to, to generously interpret the question, would it, would it help our understanding of the options available to government if more people understood a bit more economics, including MMT? Yes, but Parliament doesn't pass theories. Uh, and, and theories don't inform what these people do. They don't need to agree or disagree with MMT to spend $10 billion subsidising fossil fuels. So modern monetary theory, uh, I won't summarise it for those that don't know now, but you know the, the big picture is if a country prints its own currency, it can hardly go broke. And that's, that's true. And plenty of economists, myself included, you know, going back to uh, Keynes and Lerner of have agreed with that assertion for, for nearly a century now. So not worrying about debt and deficits and, and spending money well, yeah, sign me up. Uh, but again, parliaments don't pass theories. Parliamentarians don't have to agree with a the theory. They have to act in a way that is going to solve the problems we care about. And who we elect determines which problems we solve, which theories do or don't influence them, well, often the only thing that influences them is their, their thoughts about winning the next election. That's what democracy is based on. I could see myself in agreement with Richard Dennis on quite a few things. And his first point was that MMT is not something you implement. MMT is a model for how the economy works. Uh, I don't think Australia can adopt a theory. And so what you can do with that model is you can predict how the economy will behave or how it's likely to behave. Would you call it a model? I, I don't really see it as a model. MMT just explains how the economy actually runs. It's always often referred to as a lens because mm. a model would be, well, we're going to spend this amount on defence and we're going to spend this amount on infrastructure and here's our economic model. 
No, that's an economic program. A model is like, what would happen if we ran a surplus or what would happen if we ran a deficit? MMT answers those kind of questions. I think we're talking about the definition of a word, and I'm quite often wrong on this. I need to. I, I always have sitting in front of me my Chambers Compact Dictionary because I look up the word model and I go, oh, hang on, yeah, no, it doesn't mean that, it yeah. doesn't mean that. So I'd call it an, an understanding uh, as opposed to a, a program or a model. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet. www.3cr.org.au So the other point that Richard Dennis makes is that governments can spend and politicians can make spending decisions without necessarily understanding that they're using the currency issuing capacity of the federal government. They don't need to agree or disagree with MMT to spend $10 billion subsidising fossil fuels. Let's, let's, let's face it, Anne, for about the last 100 years, they've been doing exactly that. Uh, most of the politicians who are making these big spending decisions have little or no idea about how their economy actually works. <laughs> I was thinking if you relied on them knowing how it works, the economy would just come to a screeching halt. <laughs> yeah, so you don't have to understand MMT in order to spend, but it certainly would help your political agenda if you did understand it. Right. And the other point, of course, that Richard makes that I think we would agree with, Kevin, is that you don't need to worry about debts and deficits. So not worrying about debt and deficits and and spending money well, yeah, sign me up. It's not how big the spending is, it's what you're spending the money on. It's not a deficit, it's a government contribution to the economy. It's a necessary government contribution to the economy where they just inject currency into the economy so that the private sector can flourish. Mm-hmm. If, if you run a deficit, that means that the government's put more money into the private sector than it's taken out, and that's great. It creates the money supply that we need for a monetary economy. <laughs> yes. It was actually on this point, though, that I had a little quibble with um, Richard Dennis, which is that while he did spend a lot of time explaining, just like you said, it, you think of the deficit and the debt as a contribution into the economy, and he spent a lot of time explaining how it is like the government's investment into the economy, but he seemed to be saying it's because it's like an investment. That's why we don't have to worry about the size of the debt and the deficit. And I would make a slightly different point and say, I think it's more because the government is the currency issuer and it never has to pay back this debt. That's why you don't have to worry about how big the number is. If it was a debt, the government could always pay it back because the government creates the Australian dollars. Right. So it's just a little difference that I have with uh, Richard Dennis there, which is that seeing it as an investment tells you where the dollars are going and what they're doing. But it doesn't tell you about why you don't have to worry about the size of the debt. I guess so. If you want to use a good example of uh, government investing in its uh, population, take the uh, the Whitlam free university policy, mm-hmm. where university education became free to anybody. And that meant that a much broader percentage of the population were better educated and therefore better able to contribute to the economy. Uh, and that's, that is like an investment. That was investing in our future labour force. Yeah, so, so you end up with a, a smarter, better educated, well-rounded population who then is capable of making more money because they're in better paid jobs because they're better educated to perform. Or capable of innovating, yeah. So that is like an investment. Mm. And, then, and then we stopped for some strange reason. <laughs> Debt, default, mortgaging the future. Debt, Debt. default mortgaging the future mortgaging 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 the future the future then leader of the opposition tony abbott back in february 2010 so i do agree with almost everything that richard is saying and i'm very glad he says it Uh, you might think that australia spends a lot of money on unemployment benefits doesn't Australia spends far more on the age pension than it spends on unemployment benefits. Actually, what the budget papers spell out is that military spending is very, very big. Uh, Expenditure on the unemployed is very, very small. But I would call this a sin of omission to not talk about the currency issuing capacity 
And I say that because I think if you're offering our Larry and Larissa the building blocks for understanding how the economy works, I think you do need to point out that the government is creating the money when it spends. Yeah. I always like to think about what would happen if the government paid back its so-called debt. Mm. What would happen? Well, let's just step through this. So, so we have a current national account debt of uh, about a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. So we run these continuous deficits and it all adds up. And now the government has a trillion dollars worth of debt, which is that a trillion dollars worth of bonds out there to, to cover that? I'm guessing that's what they mean. Okay, mm. so let's say the government paid out all those bonds, the three-year, five-year, 10-year, 20-year bonds. It gave all the money out to all the people that um, had the bonds plus the interest. If the government paid back its debt, and if we're talking about the fact that it has sold bonds to equal its spending, and people think of bonds as debt, and if the government paid back its debt, all it would be doing is taking the bonds off the investors and giving them cash instead. Yeah. So what does it affect? Well, it would really be the bond investors that would suffer because they would no longer be making interest on their bonds. (laughs) Okay, so there'd be no more bonds available. And that was what happened um, in the early 2000s when Costello was running surpluses. Therefore, there was no deficit spending. Therefore, there was no bond issuing. (laughs) Therefore, there was no reason for the government to issue bonds. And, and, And all the institutional investors were going, hang on, we want the bonds, we want the bonds. That tells you what bonds are for. It's not there to, to fund government spending. It's there to keep the institutional investors happy. Mm-hmm. So how does that impact the government? Well, it doesn't impact the government. It can still pass appropriations bill to pay for everything that it needs to pay for. So it doesn't affect its performance as a government that needs to issue currency to pay for pensions and submarines or whatever the hell it wants to pay for. So paying out the bonds does not affect its ability to spend. Subscribe to 3CR, informed, articulate and alternative. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 So we're throwing this term around, MMT, as though everyone knows what it is. MMT stands for Modern Monetary Theory. So what is Modern Monetary Theory? MMT is a school of macroeconomics, which describes the fundamental workings of national economies. MMT notes the currency issuing government can never run out of its own currency. The Australian Federal Government can never run out of Australian dollars. So this is why the MMT economists say, the Australian Federal Government faces no fiscal constraints. You have to ask, does that mean the Australian Government can spend as much as it likes? And the answer is a resounding no. No. (laughs) The Australian Federal Government can only spend until inflation takes off. So the spending is constrained by inflation. When will inflation take off? Well, that depends on what resources are available to meet the demand to spend on those resources. The second thing that MMT notes is that when the Australian Federal Government spends, that money has to go somewhere. The only place for spending by the government sector to go is into the non-government sector. The non-government sector includes households, businesses and entities outside Australia. By accounting convention, when the Australian government spends, this looks like a negative on the government's account. But that same money, dollar for dollar, cent for cent, turns up as a positive amount in the accounts of the non-government sector. So, depending on how much we're importing and exporting, In other words, depending on how much money is flowing to and from 
the people outside of Australia, an Australian federal government deficit usually equals a private sector surplus. Money spent by the federal government usually ends up in the bank accounts of businesses and households in Australia. In other words, the Australian federal government has to spend dollars in order for us to save dollars. And that's the starting point for MMT. And that's why we can start having conversations about why we do not have to worry about the federal government's deficits and debt. The other thing I really liked about uh, what Richard Dennis had to say was the way he reframed the question from the audience. Would it help our understanding of the options available to government if more people understood a bit more economics, including MMT? Yes. He reframed the question as, would it help our understanding of the options available to government if more people understood MMT? And he said the answer to that question was yes. <laughs> so I was thinking we could go into more detail here. We could take a dive into why people should bother with MMT. And Kevin, I've come up with five reasons. <laughs> yes, run the past me. Now, would you like to start at number one? Number one is if you understand MMT, you can shore up your political position a bit better. So what I mean by that is that I think of MMT as an essential tool in the toolkit of any concerned citizen. So by itself, it's not enough to achieve whatever you might be wanting. But not knowing MMT, it's a bit like turning up to the revolution in riot gear and you look down and you're not wearing any shoes. <laughs> so it's like one of those basics that you need, but it's not enough. So if you're going to fight the good fight, you need to be wearing the right attire. <laughs> you need to, uh, to be pro properly equipped. That's right. So even though I'm starting to talk about political stuff here, and we always hear the MMT economist saying that MMT itself is politically neutral, I would argue that understanding MMT is a political act. And the reason I say that is because MMT reveals what the neoliberal ideology would like to remain hidden. Yeah. And what MMT reveals is that spending is not based on any ability by the federal government. We're only talking the federal government. We're not talking state or local governments. But as the currency issuer, spending is not based on the ability to pay. What that reveals is that all spending decisions are ultimately political. Ideological, yeah. Mm. And what we get from the neoliberal model is that they use the misunderstanding of the economy to try and constrain government involvement in the economy. They want to minimise uh, government spending and they want to maximise the private sector. They, they see government as uh, an interference in the economy and they hide this behind a, a basic misunderstanding of how the economy actually works, which is revealed by your knowledge of modern monetary theory. Yeah. So the neoliberals don't want you to know about MMT because you are then armed. You're armed. <laughs> uh, intellectually. <laughs> That's right. Against their nonsense. So what modern monetary theory is doing is it's describing our monetary system. And you can think of the monetary system as a public utility. So if you're not recognising the existence of that utility, you're one step behind people with their neoliberal agendas. Mm, yep. Number two. Number two, Kevin. What I have found for myself is that MMT has helped me to identify that the federal government has two main capacities. So one is the capacity to make laws, and you often hear people call that the regulatory capacity. And the other is the capacity to create and destroy money, and that's what the economists call the fiscal capacity. And so MMT helped me get clear on this idea that whatever falls outside of spending as a solution, so if throwing money at a problem ain't going to fix it, then what you're looking at is probably a regulatory problem. So MMT just helps you to see that there are these two capacities that the government has. And if you don't know your MMT, it's very easy 
to stay confused about what the government can do. Hmm, okay. The way I see it, the Australian Federal Government has two jobs. One is to create laws, the other is to create money. The question is, for whose benefit is the government doing this creating? An old trick for not enacting a law is to not fund it properly. If a government does not fund a law properly, it is making a political choice, not a financial choice. We know this from what modern monetary theory tells us about how money is created. The process for creating money looks like a parliamentary process, followed by a very secure accounting process. So the Australian Federal Government debates and passes an appropriation bill. The Treasury, using the mechanism of the central bank, then acts as instructed to create the money required by the appropriation bill. The central bank creates the money by typing numbers into appropriate bank accounts. This is how the Federal Government creates Australian dollars when it spends. It can only spend dollars by creating dollars. It can only create dollars by spending dollars. So the Australian Federal Government does not tax and it does not borrow in order to get the money. So the Australian Federal Government can never run out of Australian dollars. The Australian Federal Government can always afford to purchase whatever is for sale in Australian dollars. If the Australian Federal Government says it can't afford to do this, it is either ignorant of how the economy works or it is choosing not to make it a priority. It is making a political choice not a financial choice. Num number three in your list of why it's important to understand MMT? Well, I figure that once you understand these two capacities of the federal government, then you're in a position to judge for yourself whether or not the current government is a good economic manager. In other words, is the government going about something in the best way? So MMT helps you to see uh, when to deal with something by spending, how to target your spending, and MMT tells you when a tax might be better to be used to adjust behaviour, and then MMT tells you, oh, maybe it's better to use regulation. So, so you could be a, a raving uh, right-winger and still use your points here because like uh, as a progressive we think right yeah well we understand how the government can apply their fiscal capacity they could build more homes for the homeless but as a raving right winger you could say <laughs> i understand that the government has a fiscal capacity to create more black uniforms and arm peter dutton's uh, <laughs> his fantasy army <laughs> home security army better and there's and there's no reason why we shouldn't do that either if you're a raving right winger so so it, it could be politically neutral yeah that's right yeah. yeah. So I was even thinking as another example, uh, if you wanted to reduce carbon emissions, you could see that you could take a direct approach via regulation. You could just say you are not going to emit any more of those carbon molecules into the atmosphere. But if you don't know your MMT, you might succumb to a lot of arguments that are around at the moment that it's much better to take an indirect approach on uh, reducing carbon emissions by taxing in order to alter behaviour and then just cross your fingers and hope for the best. You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back, a show all about the economics and experience of unemployment and underemployment 
here on 3CR Community Radio. The big, big thing that MMT offers us, which is this fourth thing that MMT offers you, is this whole thing about how are we going to pay for it. And once you understand that the currency issuing government can always afford to pay for anything that's in the currency that it issues, so the Australian government can always pay for anything in Australian dollars, this gives you a really good BS detector. Continue. You can see through what Richard Dennis was talking about. You can see through the debt and deficit scaremongering. So not worrying about debt and deficits and and spending money well, yeah, sign me up. You can stop playing the balance the budget game. You can stop playing the surpluses a good game. Labor hasn't balanced a budget in over 30 years and can't say how they'd fund billions of extra spending in their platform. And you can see right through the we can't afford it excuse. And I've got a quote here from early when the election was on, when Anthony Albanese was quoted in The Age as saying, well, of course, we think it is really tough to do it on $40 a day. We would like to see a greater increase, but... We're not in a position to do that. Now, I don't know what position he's talking about. I don't know how so. <laughs> somebody, somebody who has uh, unlimited uh, fiscal capacity to inject into whatever part of the economy he wants is in the best position to address that situation. Exactly. <laughs> talking about raising the rate or not of job seeker. Yeah, yeah. So once you stop playing that how do we pay for it game... The great thing about that is that you no longer have to fight the battle for whatever change you're wanting, whether it's to increase the rate of job seeker or to stop species extinction or to enhance the aged care facilities, whatever it is. How's the homeless? How's the homeless? You name it. Um, You no longer have to fight the battle on the front of how you're going to pay for it. You just have to fight it on the policy front. So what that means is you no longer have to waste time strategizing on how to tax the rich. I mean, we've got plenty of reasons to tax the rich, but it's not for their money. (laughs) It's not to to fund government spending. No. Yeah, and they should like that. I mean, we should be be able to get some of the rich on board with MMT because as soon as you say that, they go, right. (laughs) So our taxes don't pay for for, uh, government spending. You go, yep, and they go, so we we can have some tax concessions. And you go, well, quite possibly. Come on over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're quite friendly in that way. Yeah. Yeah, so when you're not playing that game, you don't get caught up in what they call these Robin Hood politics, which is taking from the rich and giving to the poor. You can just give to the poor. (laughs) Yeah. So you're no longer assuming that you need the rich and you need their money in order to get what you want. And when you're no longer assuming that, you're not really handing over your power to affect change. That's a big... A big change in ideology that I hadn't really considered before. This misconception that we are dependent on people becoming rich and successful to sustain our economy. That's something which the neoliberals have sold us for a long time. It's a, um, it's a very important part of the trickle-down economics uh, bullshit, <laughs> is, is that uh, unless we have very successful people, they won't be able to trickle their wealth down upon the rest of us. That's all nonsense. I mean, if, if somebody is, is incredibly wealthy because they've done something smart, Good luck to them. Hmm. That, that's terrific. We should reward that kind of innovation. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll certainly not begrudge it, begrudge them some success. If you want to save koalas because you've got a whole lot of money, that's nice. Good. Okay. <laughs> what we have to worry about is the impact that their success has on the rest of society. Mm. And if, if they use their wealth in a way which has adverse effects on society, which is to say that they push the prices of things up or, or shut people out of the market and make it harder for ordinary people... Well, then you regulate the hell out of them with tax or regulation or whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing about MMT is you know you don't have to rely on Bill Gates's preferences about what is important. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not relying on the billionaires. No, and that's a very dangerous society when you're relying on the benevolence of extremely rich people to do good things in the world. That's hardly what you call democratic. Mm. And there are a lot of rich people who don't give two hoots about what's good and what's not. Let's ask uh, Charles Koch what he reckons of um, <laughs> <laughs> how money should be, should be spent. And yeah, so I do think MMT shores up the power of the people as well. MMT supports the democratic process. The other thing is, if you're no longer worrying about how you're going to pay for it, I think you can stop being apologetic about spending in the name of the public good. 
And especially, I think, people who are on uh, social security payments, so pensioners or sole parents or people on disability or unemployment, and in fact, even people who are working for the federal public service, you can get out from under this false belief that you are the beneficiary of taxpayer money. <laughs> I'm paying for you this, mate. I'm resentful of it. <laughs> you know, you're not. You never have. You never did. No. And these people are just doing what they're doing and it doesn't affect you. So just be nice. That's right. <laughs> so it's very liberating in that way. And the other thing is, if you know your MMT, you can also stop inadvertently bolstering the neoliberal point of view. So, for example, you will no longer continue this false story that federal taxes are funding federal spending. So you, you don't become an accidental neoliberal. <laughs> and there's plenty of those around. I met some of them during the, the um, election campaign. All these people who just sort of take it for granted that that's how things are and there's no option. And you bang your head. Mm. Try not. I tried not to engage in too many of those conversations because it's very frustrating. <laughs> not good for your blood pressure. Well, you only know what you know. And if people don't know, then they don't know. And so uh, Yeah, it, it's hard to get your head around it the first time you hear it as well. You have to hear it a few times. Especially when you've been indoctrinated for decades that, um, the, mm. that things are completely different to how they really are, you know. Mm. That whole concept about how taxes do not pay for government spending, that's a, that's a tough one for people to get their head around because you've been raised on it for years. You pay your taxes, you, you go, okay, I'll pay my taxes. If it's going to help with the hospitals and the roads and the rest of it, pay my taxes. And then you find it, hang on, those taxes didn't actually go towards any of that. And the, the hard part too is that is true at the state and local level. Your taxes at the local level will be paying for local government spending. <laughs> yes, that's true. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet. www.3cr.org.au You know, it becomes fun to talk about this stuff once you understand that, that we don't have to worry about how we're going to pay for it. And I think at that point you start to see the value of citizens contributing to the discussion. And I think MMT, at least for me, I think it really does motivate you getting involved in issues and helps to cut through the apathy that we see everywhere. Well, if you understand how these things can be achieved, then you don't feel so uh, helpless and hopeless. You think, okay, I understand how this can be achieved. I need to put energy behind this so that I can help with that process. Mm as opposed to throwing your hands in the air and saying it's all too hard. In those other countries, those resources are deployed to have free childcare, to have free uh, universities, uh, to have much higher quality, often free public transport. But most Australians have been told if we collect more tax and spend more money on public services, we'll hurt the economy. Well, all the evidence says the opposite. Richard Dennis, who is a Chief Economist at the Australia Institute. So I get really excited when I see the people who say, well, we've got a 10-year plan for going all electrical, or we've got a 10-year plan for ending homelessness. And I think, well, if they've got the resources and the know-how, we know that they can pay for it. And you put those two together and problem solved. And if they start trying to squib out of it, we can get in there and say, no, 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 we understand how you can do this. So stick with the plan, man. <laughs> exactly. So I also think too, the other liberating thing is that you can stop fighting these shadows and engage in the real fight. And the real fight looks like the questions, do we have the resources? If the real resources exist, then you can ask, well, should they be deployed for public benefit or for private gain? Or to which extent, either way, or, or what balance in between, yeah. And you can ask, is this a national priority? Yeah. What is the government spending money on? Are the things they're spending money on gonna deliver us lasting benefits? Because if our government is spending more on things that we think, well, that's gonna set us up well in the future, an educated, healthy population with good water and good energy and good transport infrastructure, right? If we're spending money on all of those things, that's great. There's no problem there. To be clear, we don't have to worry about the deficit. It's my point of view. But what we should worry about is what it's being spent on. Because going into deficit, spending $11 billion a year on fossil fuel subsidies that will cause us harm, from an economist's point of view, I think that's absolutely crazy. But it's not the deficit that's crazy, it's what it's being spent on. 
last year in Australia, governments in Australia spent $11 billion, $11,000 million on fossil fuel subsidies. So it's easy to find total amounts spent uh, on health, it's easy to find total amounts spent on the age pension. It's really hard to find total amounts spent on fossil fuel subsidies because according to the government, they don't even have any. They just have industry assistance for the oil industry and exploration assistance for the gas industry and infrastructure support for the coal industry and blah, blah, blah. So you can really start talking about the resources and not be talking about how you're paying for things. That would be uh, such a better understanding to deal with the climate problem, the climate change problem, the whole environmental issue. You know, we keep on saying we can't afford to go renewables too quickly. It's going to destroy the economy. Rubbish. If you, <laughs> if you understood how that interacted, then this whole thing could be solved very quickly. And that would be the best thing that could happen out of an MMT understanding is that if you understood how currency is created, you'd understand that the reliance on fossil fuels is completely false, economically speaking. And that, that whole conversation could be had over the half an hour. That argument would fall over. We could save the world by Tuesday. <laughs> Australia is not trying to reduce emissions. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not. We never have, never, ever, ever, ever. We are opening new coal mines. We are opening new gas fields. We are subsidising a billion-dollar gas-fired power station in Curry Curry. We are giving money to the oil and gas industry to go and explore for oil and gas that couldn't possibly make it to market if we found it tomorrow. <laughs> it couldn't be extracted and sent and sold for decades. Let me just be crystal clear here. Australia's emissions from burning fossil fuels are rising. They're not falling. They're not flat. They're rising. We, we, we conceal the fact that our emissions from transport and energy and industry, we conceal the fact they're rising by, by generating carbon credits in the landscape and all this sort of stuff. Step one, stop subsidising the bad things. Stop expanding our emissions. Stop opening new gas wells that leak methane. Stop building new coal mines. We talk about how Australia is transitioning away from fossil fuels. We're not. We're transitioning towards fossil fuels. Right, we've just opened the first coal mine ever in far north Queensland in the Galilee Basin. A whole new region of Australia has just transitioned to fossil fuels. And we're building a billion dollar subsidised gas fired power station in Curry Curry. So we have to build a new gas pipeline to hook it up. And, and, and we're exploring enormous gas exploration in the Betaloo Basin, for example, in the Northern Territory. So it's just not true that Australia is transitioning away from fossil fuels. We're still transitioning towards them. On that line, thinking about how do we deal with the climate crisis, is that with MMT, you learn not to be intimidated by how big the changes that we need to make. So um, how much should we spend uh, tackling climate change? As much as it takes, which, by the way, is exactly the answer uh, Scott Morrison gave when it was asked how much should we spend on nuclear submarines. He said, whatever it takes. He doesn't even have an estimate of the cost. He just knows that in order uh, you know, to feel safe, he wants to have 12 nuclear submarines and he doesn't even know how much they'll cost. Well, really, you know, if we want to feel safe from climate change, we should spend a lot. Uh, but I don't know how much, and indeed, I don't think I need to know how much. I did read that in World War II, the US moved 50% of their GDP into the war effort. Now, compare that with MMT economists who've looked at the USA situation, and they have calculated that you only need to put about 5% of the GDP into a Green New Deal. The Yanks thought that they were saving the world against the Nazi threat in World War II and they spent half of their GDP uh, towards that effort. Well, the Yanks have also created a lot of pollution along with the rest of the Western world and they're only going to spend a tenth 
of their GDP to solve that problem. Mm. Even though you're talking about big numbers with lots of zeros on the end, <laughs> it's completely doable. It's a no-brainer. And just as another comparison, in World War Two, the Americans were running a budget deficit of about 25% of their GDP without causing inflation. Mm-hmm. And you can compare this with Australia's current budget deficit when we were dealing with the pandemic, and that was about 8% of our GDP. 8%. Yeah, 8% compared with 25%. Another fun fact on that, just talking about um, economic credentials, is that uh, Whitlam, uh, who is often referred to as the worst economic manager Mm -hmm. that has happened post-World War II, especially by the Conservatives, was running a uh, debt-to-GDP ratio of one-fifth the size of the the, the recent uh, coalition government. Mm, Interesting. So the recent coalition government was running a Debt to GDP ratio five times hotter than Whitlam. Five times higher than the Whitlam era one. And you hear this rubbish about how they're better economic managers and blah, blah, blah. Rubbish. Mm. On their own terms, they're not better economic managers. <laughs> yeah, take them at their standards. Yeah. And the things that we got out of the Whitlam era was so much better, like universal free education. and Out of Vietnam, we got bloody Medicare. It was called Medibank back then, you know. Mm. What did Whitlam ever do? Well, it was Medibank. Oh, apart from Medibank and, and free university <laughs> education and ending the war in Vietnam, what did Whitlam ever do for us? I thought Medibank was a later era than the Whitlam. No, Whitlam brought in Medibank and then Fraser got rid of it and then they turned it into Medicare. Oh, okay. Apart from that, what did he do? Well, there was Indigenous rights and, and there was the whole the Uluru thing. There was a bit of that, wasn't there? <laughs> but apart from that, what did Whitlam do? Well, there was also women's rights and it was hot on that sort of stuff as well. <laughs> If that's what bad economic management looks like, give me more. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet. www.3cr.org.au Number five. One thing that MMT also does is it helps you to evaluate whether policy is genuinely progressive or not. So let's just assume our MMT is mm-hmm. a bit progressive. And one way it does that is it helps you to see the relationship between the market and the government. So, for example, you know, there are many plans out there that are calling themselves a Green New Deal. And in fact, there's a few different job guarantees out there as well. And what MMT does, if you're looking at these plans, it helps you to figure out whether or not they are genuinely progressive. Because if you look at some of these plans and they're only talking about market-based solutions, or they're only talking about how you're going to fund it, then you know that they're still trapped in the neoliberal paradigm and there's a chance Mm, they won't work. (laughs) You know, with MMT, you can sort of sniff out a real Green New Deal from a not-so-great one. Yeah, I I guess this points to the um, the other uh, misinformation, misconception about the natural economy and about the, the market finding a natural balance. Mm. So there's always this this thing, oh, look, the market will self-regulate. If something's not affordable, the market will find a correction for it. And so there's a, there's a reluctance for neoliberals to, to regulation because they want the market to correct itself. Mm-hmm. They think that regulations are necessary because the market will balance itself. If you understand uh, modern monetary theory, you understand that that's nonsense. Mm. Exactly. Australia is not trying to reduce emissions. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not. We never have, never, ever, ever, ever. And speaking of, you know, saving the planet and so on, if you combine MMT with ecological economics, I think one of the big things it does for me is it helps us to see not just what we uh, need to do more of, but what we're not doing at all. So it helps us to see the gaps that are in our institutions. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not. We never have, never, ever, ever, ever. Um, These institutions are what we need to actually make stuff happen. So, for example, I keep thinking there's a complete absence of a department that's aimed at keeping our economy within the biological limits of the country. So in other words, people sometimes refer to this as donut economics because that's become quite a popular way of thinking about it. And there's a complete lack of any governmental effort to create a donut economy. To live sustainably. Mm. We always talk about how we have to live within our economic means. How about we live within our ecological means? Mm -hmm. Pretty important. 
at the same time, leaving no one behind. Yeah. So you can use MMT to help you design an economy that will serve humanity and the planet. This is Bill Mitchell. You're listening to my favourite Melbourne radio station 3CR with Anne and Kev, Unemployed Workers Fight Back Program. Great program. Great guests. <laughs> So I thought it was just nice to go through some of the reasons why we spend a lot of time doing this radio show and talking about macroeconomics from the MMT or the modern monetary theory perspective. You know, the thing I find interesting about the whole, uh, the whole MMT thing is people go, MMT, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Certainly since you and I have gained uh, an understanding of how the macroeconomy works through, um, through listening to Bill Mitchell and, and the way modern monetary theorists describe the economy, I haven't heard anybody refute the way uh, modern monetary theorists talk about the economy because all they're doing is analysing what happens. Mm -hmm. They're just saying this is how the process works. This is how our economy works. And if that conversation was more understood, the uh, rubbish that Mm -hmm. that we always have about how can we afford this, and particularly you see it heaped on labour. Whenever labour came up with a policy, how are you going to fund it? How are you going to fund it? That's not the question. Mm -hmm. If you understand MMT, then you understand how currency is created. The question is not about deficits, as Stephanie Kelton has written so eloquently in her book, The Deficit Myth. The focus is on inflation. Mm -hmm. So what's the impact on inflation if if the government spends money? That's the question, not Mm -hmm. not about the deficit. If that was understood... (laughs) we would have far more intelligent conversations about policy. It mm-hmm. wouldn't be this, this constant... Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Ignorant rubbish. <laughs> that's, that's my biggest frustration. If, if we had a more informed electorate that understood about currency creation, about the impact of government spending... We could then stop this petty nonsense about things which just aren't important, like deficits and and, uh, national debt. got a budget with unprecedented debt and deficits. Given the level of debt and deficit, is there any productivity gain to be made by spending money on dog parks? Given we're talking about debt, you could uh, mention the debt figure for 2023, just putting it out there for you. Uh, can you tell us what you expect the annual cost of Medicare, aged care and the NDIS to be in 10 years' time and how you each believe the growing demand for these services should be paid for? Now, given there's a trillion dollar debt, do either of you have the courage to propose a levy to, uh, to fund the NDIS? When's the reckless spending going to stop? unprecedented debt and deficits. Given the level of debt and deficit. Given we're talking about debt. Given there's a trillion dollar debt. How you each believe these services should be paid for. When's the reckless spending going to stop? Debt and deficit. Debt. 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 Trillion dollar debt. 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 Debt and deficits. Debt. 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 Deficit. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Do angels occupy a place in space? If angels aren't spatial, can several angels be in the same spatial place? Might many angels be in one place at one time? Might a million angels fit upon a needle's point? Or is this a needless point? Let us challenge this modern medieval scholasticism. 
with modern monetary theory. If angels aren't spatial, like money is not physical, perhaps we are all blinded to infinity and confuse our fiscal capacity. MMT does give you a realistic and hopeful view of how to run the economy. It's a bit like um, uh, owning a car and figuring out how the engine works. You go, oh, if anything goes wrong, I can fix this. Mm. So <laughs> <laughs> It's almost like discovering the accelerator. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> now I can make it go forward. <laughs> yeah. or, or you can start fine-tuning it. So it's like being able to work on your car, understanding how it works, and then getting it to perform better. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to change with the electric cars, though, because they don't have as much capacity to do that. But, it, you know... <laughs> Uh, well, Anne, we're running out of time yet again. Uh, uh, Mafalda is coming up next with Vicky, so we've got a skedaddle. Thank you for, again, providing the hard work, the information, the facts, <laughs> and allowing me just to wrap it on. I love bouncing my hard work off you, Kevin. <laughs> Much appreciated. Uh, we better get going. Catch you next week. See you then. You've been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join us the second and fourth Friday of each and every month as part of The Sewer Show on 3CR. Listen to this show as a podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. We thank all our guests, and I thank you, Anne. And I thank you, Kevin. Oh, no, no, the pleasure was all mine. Oh, no, Kevin, the pleasure was all mine. You mean all the pleasure was yours? Kevin, I think I took all the pleasure on this one. <laughs> well, if you took all the pleasure, that means I, there's no pleasure for me at all. I, oh. I quite enjoyed myself. So if you've got all the pleasure, then what, I had no, I had no pleasure? I think we should share the pleasure. <laughs> well, we're going to have to share the pleasure because, you know, like, I don't mind you having the pleasure, that's great. So you have as much pleasure as you like, but don't take all the pleasure. Well, it was very pleasurable, so I'm glad that it was pleasurable for you and it was You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.